Appreciate that. Amen. Well, it is our honor and privilege tonight to have a choice servant of God, uh, Brother Kevin, and a missionary. 25 years, right? 20 years. And uh, I've been telling everybody 25. And so uh, I'm, I'm ahead of the game right here. But uh, 20 years there in Australia and uh, has done a great work. King James, Bible believer. And that's dear and near to my heart. And uh, so we appreciate that. And uh, going back to serve the Lord. And uh, I guess, are your children Australian? They were all born there. All born? Are they dual citizens? Yes. All right. Okay. Is it, are you proud to be an Australian? Yeah. Well, amen. I, I like that. All right, brother, you come. And you preach to us tonight. And uh, just tell us a little bit about what's going on. And then give us the word of God, okay? All right. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. Well, good evening. It's good to see you again. I don't remember how many months ago it was that I was here, but uh, different circumstances. And I want to just say how, uh, how grateful we are for your prayers. Difficult, uh, difficult season. Some of you probably have been through that. Just a difficult season. And uh, the Lord saw fit to bring in a lot of people into our time of trial and to pray for us. And we were astounded by that and we're thankful. And I know that has a lot to do with your leadership in that. And I appreciate that you're praying for us. Obviously the outcome was different than what we had prayed for and different from what we had hoped for. But the Lord knows what he's doing. Yes. And uh, we're not bitter about that. Of course we're sad, but we're not bitter. Yes. And we, we trust his hand, we trust his wisdom. And uh, we had, uh, my wife and I had spoken before she passed away that we didn't sense that we were done where we are in Australia, that that, that, that work's not finished yet, not with us anyway. And um, it's a very, it's really strong work. They've gone for two years without us being there. And uh, presently I've, there's uh, five men four men now uh, that are filling the pulpit and they're doing a marvelous job and of course that's developing them uh, but at any rate we had talked about the fact that we didn't think we were done we thought we were all going back together and that was the one point that we missed but it didn't really take a lot of thought and prayer on our part for us to to know that once Shiloh was in heaven that we were meant to be back in Australia and so we're we're headed back uh, and we're busy packing we'll be leaving uh, Thursday of next week uh, to get back obviously uh, one of the men in our church said uh, so pastor now that uh, Shiloh's passed what's your calling in life this was about two months almost two months ago and I said, my calling hasn't changed, but my capacity has changed. Yes. And so I don't have the same capacity that I did previously. But as long as they're happy to work with us in that cap the capacity that we're in now, uh, then we'll just continue to do that. So that's our plan. Obviously, I'm conscious of the health of the church, and I want to make sure that I can carry out my duties properly. And if I can't, I'm willing to step aside, but at least I can be there for now, stabilize things. And if it's necessary for them to find someone else, then I'll help them in that process. Or uh, some of the guys that are coming up through the ranks in the church may be more than able to step in in a few years' time. So I'll try to put in five more. That way it'll make you yes, accurate. I and I actually said to him, I said, I need five years. If you can give me five and we'll just see from there what happens. Uh, so I've asked him for five more. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. And I know that sounds terribly unspiritual. I wish I could see better than that. But uh, right now all we want to do is get there, get our feet back on the soil again and get our hands back into the work of the ministry. Uh, two years is a long time, and I am really anxious to get back, as are my children. Uh, they are dual citizens, but they don't sound like dual citizens. They sound fully American, and I'm sorry to disappoint you on that. But, and we're, I'm a dual citizen as well. But that's our plan. Uh, but from the bottom of my heart, thank you for praying for us and being mindful of us. It means so much, and we don't we don't take that lightly, and we're touched by your kindness toward us having only met me one time and never meeting my wife. Thank you. And uh, you'll meet her in heaven. And when you do, uh, you are going to fall in love with her the way we love her. Uh, that she's just a wonderful woman. 
Okay, uh, I'm not going to preach on missions tonight, and I hope that wasn't your intention. I'd like for us to go to the book of Psalms, chapter number 33. Psalm chapter number 33. Brother, I'm assuming we're normally finished by 7, is that correct? Are you, you're finished when you're finished? Okay. I am notoriously long-winded, so it's better to say 7. We'll be out by 7.30. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll be as courteous with your time tonight as I can be, but I do have a thought uh, that I've been meditating on for a while. And uh, when, this, when this opportunity was available to preach, I was very sure this was the right thing to do. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm chapter number 33, uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart Excuse me, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Well, Father, one more time we would pray tonight for your blessing and your help. We know you're present because you promised to be present. What we desire tonight is that that presence will be recognized and that it will affect change in us. Lord, each one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit now if we hope to accomplish anything at all. And I'm asking that you would help to set aside the, the busyness of this week and the weekend that we've just had, maybe what's in front of us, that you'd help us to clear our hearts and minds of those things and have our affection on things that are above. And I pray that the Spirit of God would be able to take the Word of God and to make us to be more like Jesus Christ. And God, I really think that this is an important topic, and I want to do it the right justice that your word does to it, and I pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm, and I'm going to be very note-bound, if you don't mind, because I'm still working through this, this message, but um, this psalm is about the Lord and His greatness, as well as the blessed state of the nation that are his people. If you look up there in verse number 12, it's a, it's a verse that we well know. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. All right, so it, it, it's about the greatness of God. It's about the, the blessedness of people who make God their God. And... Um, it speaks here in this psalm of, of a great need of the people to have God and His aid and His protection, which is what we read about. And he talked about in verse 18 that the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. In verse number 19, He delivers their soul from death. Now, if you read it on your own later tonight, you'll see that Psalm 33 it's just magnifying how great God is. And then he concludes with this. You're our God. We know your eye is on us. We need you. We need you to protect us. We need you to help us, to have mercy on us. And he said in verse 20, our soul waiteth for the Lord. And he's our help and our shield. What I want to focus in on tonight, a thought that struck me several months ago. Is there in verse number 20 on the word waiteth or waiting? Our soul waiteth for the Lord. And that's what I want to preach about tonight, perhaps teach and preach, but most certainly meditate on is the virtue of waiting. And it's a difficult thing. Nobody likes to wait. I thought as we were singing there, I was. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to stand and look at you and let you look at me for a while, and we're going to wait. <laughs> and I know what happens. It's going to get uncomfortable. Right. Because there's this thing about silence. 
and it bothers us. There's this thing about quietness that bothers a lot of people. Uh, I, I like it quiet myself. I, I like being alone. Uh, that's not very conducive to ministry, so obviously I have to overcome that. But a lot of people don't like a quiet time and alone time. But I would say all of us would be able to sign our name on the bottom of the fact that we don't like waiting. And especially in a generation where we've been taught that we can have everything almost instantly. It's at our fingertips. It's in front of our eyes. It's food. It's entertainment. It's even travel. We'll get on an airplane and we'll fly from Houston directly to Sydney. We'll be there in under 18 hours. And that's a miracle. That's, a, that's marvelous if you think about it. In less than 24 hours, I can fly halfway around the world, literally. And we're used to that. And we're accustomed to it. And human nature does not like waiting. And yet every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, every one of us comes to a time in life when we have to wait. We're forced to wait. And God designs it to be that way. And He wants us to wait. And I would say that when we're waiting, it never comes at a time when we would choose. It never comes at a convenient time. It's often when we think things should be the most urgent that God decides to have us wait. And there's a reason for it. Waiting time is uncomfortable. We don't like it. And I want you to look at a few things here with me. And like I said, it's very much a, a study. But I do hope to preach in such a way that it draws out some response from us in regard to how God deals with us. But I, one of the reasons I think that waiting is uh, difficult is because it's just uncomfortable. It's against our desires and it's against our nature. And, and, and another thing I see about it is it's confrontational. Waiting becomes confrontational because as we wait, we begin to learn a lot about who we are and what we're made of, and what our faith and confidence really is in. We're going to come back here, but you don't need to hold your place. Go to Psalm chapter number 13. Psalm chapter number 13, and then we're going to look at another psalm, a couple more here. And we'll move through the Word of God a little bit tonight. But Psalm chapter 13 and verse 1, this is, boy, isn't this the cry of so many believers today? And I'm assuming you know Christ as your Savior tonight. But here in Psalm chapter 13, verse number 1, how long wilt thou forget? Isn't that something that you've said many times? How long? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou... Hide thy face from me. Boy, when we get into troubling times, trying times, that is very much, if not the very words that we pray, it's certainly the, the words of our heart and our mind. God, how long is this going to go on? Did you forget me? And what's he talking about there? I'm waiting and I'm not seeing you work. One thing I can assure you of is that even when it seems God's not working, He's working. Amen. He is working, and sometimes His working is the waiting. Right. That's what His work is in us. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 35. Here again, the psalm writer says a similar thing. Psalm 35, verse number 17 Lord, how long wilt thou look on? You're just watching. You're like a spectator into my life here as though that's it. You're just watching indifferent. Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. He's obviously under trouble from his enemies and they're attacking him and he's suffering as a result of it. And he wants to know, God, why are you just going to be a spectator in the stadium as these lions devour me? When are you going to step in and help? And again, I'd say, if you haven't been there yet, maybe some of the younger generation hasn't had that yet, but you will. You will. If God allows you to, to age in the Lord, you're going to come to a time when you're going to feel like God's just a spectator in your life. And, and there are people and there are things, events 
that are trying to destroy you and you're going to want to know, God, why are you just watching? You're just looking on. Why are you making me wait for your help? And then Psalm chapter number 69, it's waiting is uncomfortable, it's confrontational, but it's also very emotional and taxing. Psalm 69 and verse number 3. And here David writes this, he said, I am weary of my crying, my throat is dried, mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Boy, doesn't that sum it up sometimes? It's just taxing. Waiting is taxing and it's emotional. Even for the unemotional, it can become emotional. And I've seen men that say, I don't cry, or men that say, I don't have much emotion. And I've, and I've watched God take them and bring them to their knees in tears as he says, I'll give you some waiting time and I'll teach you to have the tears and I'll teach you to have emotion and I'll teach you to depend upon me. I don't need heroes. I need servants. I need people like Christ who are moved with compassion. I need people who can be touched with the feelings of someone else's infirmity. You'll wait. And I've seen God bring tough men to that very place. My eyes are out of tears and I'm broken. Now it may not sound like it, but that's the goodness of God. That he would do something like that in our lives. And that he wouldn't let us remain maybe as we are in our natural state, but that he would effect change in us that would be more like Jesus Christ. That's the goodness of God. And I wouldn't want him to leave me like I am and like I was when he saved me and like I was even a year ago and six months ago. I don't want to be that person. And I assume you would feel the same way. You don't want to be that same person. You want to move on. And you want to be more like Christ. And it requires waiting. It's not all action. Now there is, with waiting, generally, other lessons that come with it. They're mingled together. And one of those lessons is contentment. The Apostle Paul said in in Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 11, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Well, we look at the context of it, and there he waits in prison. And he's waiting to find out what's going to happen in his life, with his life. And will God use him again? Will he be set free? Will he be able to freely preach the gospel openly again? And it's it's a waiting game. And he doesn't know. We know because we know. But he didn't know. But he finishes his epistle, beginning it in Philippians chapter 1, Confident that God would, would finish the work that he had started in him, Philippians 1.6. And the other bookend to that book is I'm content with what God is doing in my life, even if it's sitting in a prison cell. And he says, I'm contented in whatever state, whatever place, I'm content. And contentment is a difficult thing for many believers. Contentment is satisfaction in our minds that what God has allowed or orchestrated is good and right. Not comfortable, but God's allowed it or he's affected it. He's put it in there. And because his hand, his fingerprints are on it, it's good and it's right. And that's what the Apostle Paul was looking at. I'm sure if you asked him, he'd much rather be free than in prison. He'd much rather be able to travel to preach the gospel, but he may do with what he had an opportunity with in the, in the prison and so on. But if you could ask him, he would say, I know what God's doing is good, but I'd sure rather be free. Sure. <laughs> and he had to wait and he had to learn to be content because circumstances very rarely go our way. And when they do go our way, sometimes we can get puffed up and prideful and we can get self-reliant and we can get very, very independent of God. So waiting often brings with it the lesson of learning to be content. 
Having satisfaction of mind can be a big battle, especially when our expectations aren't being met. Would you agree with that? Sure. We have expectations. We all do. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with it. We have expectations how God will use us. We have expectations on how our lives will play out, how our children will grow up, how will they, uh, will they go on and serve the Lord, and, and what about this and that, these things in our lives. We have these expectations. If I do this, then this will happen in my life, and if I do that, that will happen in my life. And many times those aren't met, and we look and we say, God, what in the world's going on? And maybe he doesn't answer. And, and maybe he doesn't give an explanation like he never did to Job. And we wait and wait and wait and wonder. And God says, while you're waiting, I want you to get into the frame of mind that you accept what I'm doing is right. Be content. Another lesson that I think is learned during the waiting time is that of patience. It's patience. By its very nature, the word wait indicates time. So there's always time involved in waiting. And because it's involving time, it's going to naturally involve some patience. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37, in fact, we're, we're still in Psalm. Let's look at Psalm 37, very famous passage here. Psalm chapter number 37 And we look there at verse number 7, Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't you get worked up and worried over the fact that the ungodly and the wicked often seem prosperous and it's, they seem happy and they seem to be trouble free? He said, don't you worry about that. You better rest in the Lord and you wait patiently because the game's not finished. Right. And we haven't come to the end of the matter yet. And this isn't about who wins a contest. And please understand that. But it's most certainly is about the fact that God says for the believer, don't look for the reward and the finished act to be here on earth. And don't wait for it. Uh, excuse me. Don't look for it to be that you get to look like you're the success and you, you look like uh, you're the one who's most blessed. That comes in eternity Amen. for now. The, what did the apostle say? He said, even though we're apostles, we're like the offscouring of the earth. It's a waiting period. And so God says to us, you wait patiently. Patiently means I'm not rushing God's work. I'm not trying to get to the end result more quickly than he wants to get me there. Just being patient. In Psalm 40 and verse 1, he repeats himself again and says a very similar thing. In Psalm 40 verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and these are blessed words that follow because God's not all about us just constantly waiting and nothing ever transpires. But here, praise the Lord, he says the second half of verse number one, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Yes, they might. There's so many times that the waiting period finishes and God does incline to what we cry and what we ask for. Often, though, it depends upon how well we've learned our lesson. Another lesson that I think comes with waiting is trust and faith. Now for this, I just want to give you the illustration of Abraham. Or in this case, Abram. Abram, look up in the sky and you see all those stars out there? I'm going to give you children like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the sea. How old are you, Abram? I'm 75. Fine. No problem. And he waited. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, waiting, 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 waiting. And he blew it. He got impatient. He thought maybe God needed a hand, some assistance. He and his wife, remember Sarai? 
Sarai said, you know what? I think what the issue here is, is that it's because I'm barren and God's made me that way. But how about let's give you Hagar and you can have a child by her and we'll just call it my child. And that way we can fulfill God's plan for our lives and get this ball rolling. So he agrees to it and caused one of the greatest disasters in human history that we still live with. And you know, God looked at that and because he's merciful, he still had mercy on Ishmael. And he still promised to use Ishmael, but after it was all said and done, he came along to Abram and Sarah and he said, that wasn't my promise. Now you can wait. And he did. Thirteen more years. You know what he was learning? Well, Romans chapter number four tells us that he's the father of faith. He was learning faith in his waiting time. I have to learn to trust God even in those types of things. That's what he learned. It's a waiting time. Let me give you this one, quietness. Quietness. Lamentations 3.26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. He said it's good for you to learn to be quiet. Now look, we can wait and be in protest the entire time. We can wait and constantly be bothering the Lord. You know, sometimes I, I absolutely think it's right, it's scriptural to continue to ask the Lord to be importunate, as it says, to keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Absolutely. But there are times when God says, don't come to me with this matter. I'll bring it to pass when the time comes. So be quiet. And quietness is defined as tranquil, peaceful, and calm. And, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out, and I don't know what the end result's going to be, and what if it works out poorly? What am I going to do? How am I going to organize this? How am I going to take care of that? What's going to happen in this area of my life and in, in my ministry? What's going to happen in my family life? What's going to happen here in my work? And what am I going to do? And we start getting not calm and not tranquil and not peaceful, but we start looking at it and we think, I'm, I, God, something's got to happen, and I get turbulent in my spirit. And I'm disturbed in my heart and my mind and I, I can't sleep. I can't eat. And I, I'm looking for an answer and I've got to have an answer now. And God says, you're just going to wait until you learn to be quiet. Learn to be quiet. Learn to be quiet. I think about the psalm. I, I wish I'd have written down the, the reference. So you might be able to help me. And it speaks about, the psalm writer says, I have quieted myself like an infant or like a child in the bosom. And what he's talking about there is that when a baby's born and it's used to feeding, to breastfeeding, every time it comes near, that woman's breast, that's what it wants to do. So it's never quiet. It's agitated all the time, every time it gets near. But when you wean the child, it can lay on the mother's breast and doesn't desire anything other than the closeness. And the psalm writer said, I did myself like that. And I'm willing to just lay upon the breast of the Lord and I need nothing else. There's a quietness there. We've got to learn that when we're waiting. Well, there may be other lessons that are learned. And it may depend upon how and where you're at in your Christian life, what else is going to be learned. But here's what I know as we look at this, is that waiting is never without purpose. And God never asks us to be patient, to be content, to be quiet, to have faith, to trust. He never asks us to go through the waiting period without a purpose. And I'm only speaking, you know, I've been preaching for 25, 26, 27 years. I forget where it is, but 27. I've watched a lot of people that will not learn the lesson of waiting 
And I've watched them just like the children of Israel. They got to keep wandering around and around and around in that wilderness because they won't learn that lesson. And they won't accept that the waiting period has a purpose. And I can't tell you how many times that in counseling and preaching and talking and trying to help people, I've constantly tried to remind, and I'd like to remind us tonight, if you're in a waiting period, what you need to learn is what maybe is God's purpose? What's his goal? What's he trying to achieve? He does not always give us that detail. But I can guarantee one thing. When we start seeking the Lord in that matter about, God, I want to be more like your son, and I'd like to know what it is that you're teaching me, he's going to start instructing you in some area, in some way. He's going to honor that request because he wants us to be like Christ. I, I promise you. There's a purpose, there's a goal, and it needs to be pursued by the waiting person. Waiting is not mind-numbing time to just sit still and say, well, okay, the preacher said that we all go through a waiting time, so I guess I'll just wait. I'll just sit here and watch TV, and I'll just, I won't even bother with church. I'll go when I feel like it, and I'll just wait and see what God's going to do. That's mind-numbing, spirit-numbing time, and that is not at all what the waiting time's about. There's a spiritual thing that needs to take place. We need to pursue it. We need to find it. We need to seek God in that and seek His face. That is that waiting time isn't passive time. We pursue the Lord and the pursuit of the Lord, and please hear what I'm about to say. In our pursuit of the Lord, it may not be activity. It may be our disposition toward the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's our active pursuit of God at times. I'm le letting that sink in. Too many people that I know are in the waiting time think that what the, the answer is is to add activity. I don't mean bad activity. I mean they may get more involved in church. And from the outside, those of us that watch that think, wow, look at how committed they're getting. But that may not be what God wanted from them. They're adding activity in hopes that somehow through that they're magically going to find out maybe what God wanted from them or, or where he wants them to go or what he's trying to work out in their life. And so they just pile on activity upon activity upon activity and they look spiritual and they may sound spiritual, but inside God's not giving them the answer they're looking for because it's not what he wanted from them. <clears throat> what he wanted was a disposition that obeys the voice of God. And here's what he has to say. And if he says, I want you to sit quietly, yes, be busy witnessing. <coughs> yes, be faithful to church. These are things that he's never going to violate his word. Yes, spend time in the word of God, reading, meditating, memorizing. Yes, be in prayer. But I don't want you to start piling on extra activity in hopes that you're going to corner me into an answer. That's not how it works. You say, well, I don't know if that's Bible or not. Elijah. Elijah, you go to that brook and you be there. That's what he said. Be there. What is he telling him? Wait. I've commanded the ravens, they'll feed you. You're going to be fine. Don't do anything else. Don't go out and preach and prophesy. Don't do anything. Just be there. Christian, I'm asking you tonight. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're in this place now. Or maybe you're coming into it sometime in the near future in your life. But are you open? Is your disposition such that if the Spirit of God says, I want you to just be there, is it such that you say, okay, what do you want when I get there? I don't want anything. I want you to be there. Don't busy yourself so that you cloud out the voice of God when it comes. Just be there.
Do you know that we can be actively pursuing God and the will of God and yet outwardly it looks like we're not active at all? And I'm going to say it again. It's because there is in the Christian life a disposition toward God. I, don't, I honestly don't believe the will of God is confined to a place and a time generally. Sometimes it is. I've thought about this so many times, you know, how did Paul decide where to go and where to preach the gospel? We don't really have a great insight into it. And then as you study the journeyings of Paul, the next place he went to was where the boat took him. That was it. And when he got off, he preached the gospel. Because his disposition toward God was, wherever you put me, you've told me to preach the gospel, that's what I'm going to do wherever the boat takes me. Now, there are occasions when he says, oh, we essayed to go into Asia, and the Lord said no. And then we tried to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit wouldn't suffer us to go there either because he had a specific plan on that occasion. And he gives him the Macedonian vision, and come over and help us. And they end up in Philippi, and clearly that was of the Lord. But that's not always the case and generally not the case. It's the disposition toward the voice and the word of God. How are you responding to what God's already said to you and how he's already led you? And many times you'll find that the, that the will of God is not about a specific place and time. It's your attitude. If you have the right attitude, where you're at is the will of God. If you have the right response to the Spirit of God, where you're at is the will of God. I hope that's okay, preacher, when you correct it. I mean that. I'm not being silly. I believe that. Well, when we study the word waiting throughout the Word of God, it's, it's derivatives whether it's the word wait or any of its derivatives, <coughs> they're used in a variety of contexts throughout the Bible. And it's one of the unique Bible words that we have that can have two completely opposite meanings. In one, it has the meaning of stop and be still, which is what we've already talked about here. Stop and be still. But it can also mean get busy and serve. All right, I'll illustrate. In the Word of God, you'll find this phrase, wait for. When you see that phrase, wait for, it is commonly speaking about stop or slow down and have an expectation or an anticipation from the Lord. He's going to lead you. He's going to speak to you. He's going to do something, but I need you to slow down or stop and wait for that to happen. And so it'll be phrased as wait for the Lord, which is what we read in Psalm 33. Our, our, we, our soul waits for you, for the Lord. Um, in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4, those disciples were told to go to Jerusalem, and he says, and wait for the promise of the Father. Now think about that. Wait for the promise of the Father. Don't, don't go to Jerusalem and, again, get so consumed without activity before I'm ready for it. Yeah. And certainly don't go out and preach and carry on until you're empowered for it. You need to wait. Now, what were they doing? They're carrying on with their daily lives. They're having prayer meetings. We already know that. They're in an upper room when that day of Pentecost comes. But they were told to just wait for God. Uh, I think it's best illustrated in the phrase, uh, someone's lying in wait. What are they doing when they're lying in wait? They found a secret place. They're off to the side. Uh, when they're waiting for Paul, for instance, they're lying in wait for him to, for, the, for the centurion to bring him by so they could kill him. And they're seeking opportunity. What are they doing? Nothing. They're just there waiting until the opportunity comes. All right? But the second one was continue in action. This one is mostly represented in the Word of God by the phrase, wait on. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What is he talking about? Serve. And when you serve, you gain strength, and you gain endurance, and you gain leadership. 
So there's a difference. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 2 that the little maid who served Naaman's wife, she waited on her. She's a servant. Uh, the sons of Aaron are said to wait on the priestly office. That is, they gave the due attention that was required in their office. So again, when we're waiting for, we're kind of in this position of Elijah where we're just being at a place and we're letting God do what he does so that he can finish his work in us and move us to another location or move us to the place we need to be or, or speak to us, whatever it might be. It's like Elijah, that's waiting for. But waiting on would be, say, Simeon in the temple there in the birth of Jesus Christ. And, you know, he'd ask God, let me see the Christ before I die. And God had given him a promise that he would see him before he died. And so he's just carrying on with his work. He's doing everything that he's supposed to do day after day after day after day. And here he is, an old Old man continuing on in his service of waiting on God and then God honored that by letting him see the Christ. That's waiting on versus waiting for. Now, I, I, I want to, I'm trying to bring balance here to this thing so bear with me. There, there are some negative things that can happen and there's some warnings for us about waiting. I want you to see, first of all, 2 Kings chapter number 6. 2 Kings chapter number 6. <clears throat> now, while you're turning there, I want to set some context. The Syrian army had come up against Israel, and they were trying to, they were trying to attack King Jehoram. And so Elisha would, because the Lord was showing him what was going on, he would send to King Jehoram and he'd say the Syrian armies can, are going to encamp over here. They're trying to trap you here. You need to go to a different place and move on. And this happened two or three times. And so the Syrian king was getting angry trying to you know, figure out who's, who in, in my secret chambers here is telling our, our battle plans. This keeps happening. And they said, well, it's Elisha. He said, it's like he hears what you're talking about in the bedchamber. He said, well, let's kill this Elisha guy so we can get on with the business of killing the Israelites. And you remember the story there that they went and surrounded him and, and God smote him with blindness and he led them back to Jehoram, the whole army. And when he showed up, Jehoram says to him, he says, should I smite them? Should I smite them? And Elisha said, no, you give them bread and drink and you send them home. And he did. He apparently didn't have a very good heart about that situation. And here's why I know that. Because the king of Syria did not return the favor he gathered his armies together and attacked again. And this time it looked like it was going to be successful. They were in such a case that they were entrapped in the city of Samaria and they were running out of food and they were running out of water. And women have just come to him as he's walking upon the wall and they said to him, uh, we ate her child yesterday or my child yesterday and we're planning on eating her child but she's not giving that child for us to eat. That's how desperate they were. And the king Jehoram is beside himself. Think about it. Why wouldn't you be angry? He had a chance to wipe out the Syrian army and Elisha said, no, you're not going to do it. And the return favor to that was they attacked again. Now Jehoram's heart's not in that when he just fed him and sent him away. Because when you get to chapter 6 and let's look here. Well, we'll read a little bit here. Remember, he, he sent his servant to see Elisha, and Elisha knew he was coming. So verse number 32. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head? Look when the messenger cometh. Shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, Behold, the messenger came down unto him. Now listen. And he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. Elisha, you said that God said not to kill him. And look where we are now. We've got people eating their own children. It's from the Lord. And so here's what he says. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I keep waiting for God to do something? 
this is how he's left me. And here's the warning I want to give you as we take a lesson from Jehoram. There are some people who resent the waiting. And Jehoram resented God and resented the waiting period. And he resented what was going on. And, and I, I'm not, <coughs> I'm really not even terribly critical except Jehoram was a wicked king but when you think about the situation can you not understand why he would feel that way and what happens is when listen to me when we're waiting and it turns bad and it's gone against us if we're not careful we'll start resenting the Lord in that and resent the waiting period and we got to be careful guard our heart against that resentment God, why are you making me wait so long? Look at the bad circumstances you put me in. Look at how much trouble we're in. Look at how much strife in my life. I can't even sleep properly. I'm up all night. I, I'm, I'm a wreck all day. I've lost my testimony because of the way I'm acting. And Lord, it, it, you did this. Resentful. Oh, man, be careful. Be careful. And by the way, this is what that waiting period, it draws out. Because what did the Bible tell us? In the New Testament, he said, that stuff, I, that resentment didn't come from the outside and go in your heart. That resentment was already in your heart. I'm just showing it to you. Yeah, and that's why I think his heart wasn't right when he fed him and sent him away. He resented it from the very beginning that he wasn't able to kill his enemies. And God just said, I'm going to show that to the world. Watch for resentment. When you feel like you've been treated unjustly or, or that the problem is coming from the Lord, be careful of resentment. And it starts when you try to do the right thing the wrong way. The second problem and, and, and warning here is in John chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. John chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Preacher, are we doing okay time-wise and we're okay? All right, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Now remember there, well, let's just pick it up in verse 1. <clears throat> After this, there was a feast. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting. For what? For the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And we remember the story and here's the warning I want to give us about waiting in this passage is that sometimes our waiting can be misdirected. They're waiting for the moving of the water instead of waiting for the moving of the Lord. And that's what Jesus challenged this man about. Well, why don't you get into the water? If that's where your solution's found, why don't you get in the water? Well, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I've been trying to get into the water, but before I get there, someone beats me every single time. And you remember what Jesus did to him? He just said, do you want to be made whole? Yes. All right, then look at me. And take up your bed and go. And that's exactly what he did. Because the Lord said, stop looking at that moving of the water and start looking at me. And the moment that that man did that in the physical sense, Jesus said, I'm going to honor that and I'm going to let that be your faith and it'll heal your body. And the man stood up and walked. Yes. Got in a heap of trouble, but he didn't care. Christian... Be careful because our waiting time can be misdirected. We can look for the solution in the wrong place. Yes, we can start looking to the hand of man. We can start looking to the hand of the government. Start looking to the hand of anything except the Lord. The waiting period is meant for us to be looking to the hand, the person, the presence, the power of God. Yes, and waiting will teach us to do that. Be careful. 
And thirdly, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. It's a psalm of praise. We know that from verse 1. Praise you the Lord. That sets always in the psalms. It begins to set the context. Psalm 106, and I want you though to pick it up in verse number 13. As he's telling about the Israelites. He said, verse 13, Psalm 106, They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. I want you to see thirdly as a warning that the waiting period, if you neglect the waiting period and you get too antsy, as we say, we get, we get ahead of God, we get impatient, is you'll neglect waiting and make demands. And God might give you what you asked for. And then you wish you hadn't had it. Well, we, we loathe this light bread. This is what you've given us to eat day after day after day. <clears throat> and we're sick and tired of it. We want flesh to eat. Give us flesh. Give us meat. That's what we want. Instead of going to God and even in seeking counsel from the Lord, it could be, it could be, Lord, would it please you to give us meat? And if the answer is no, we're going to stay content with what you've given to us. But we'd be grateful. You said you treat us like sons. And we're asking, would you give us meat? That's seeking counsel from God. God might have said to him, I can give you meat. That's fine. No problem. They'd have been fine. But when they go and they say, this is ridiculous. We're sick of it. Give us the meat. He says, all right, you can have the meat. Remember, they ate it till it came out their noses. But it says he sent leanness into their soul. Don't, don't miss this. What a phrase. Sent leanness into the, under their souls. They missed out on the normal working of God's grace and mercy and love in their inward man. They missed out on it because they made demands for the outward man, for their stomach. God says, I'll give you what you asked for. But what I would have given you, you've lost it. And again, I say, Christian, be careful about the waiting period. And when you get to that time where you begin to neglect the waiting and you're looking for a way out and you start making demands of God and he gives it to you, that's not time to say, woohoo, man, he answered my prayer. Wonderful. Uh, you might have missed out on God's best by demanding what you want now. All right. Um, Positive. I'm going to go through this very, very quickly. Positive examples. Simeon. We've already talked about him in Luke chapter number 2. He carried on in his service in the temple. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Just waiting. Doing what God told him to do. Not impatient. Trusting. And God honored that and let him see the birth of Christ. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, again, we've already, I've already mentioned that. Just waiting in an upper room, not doing, just waiting. They waited right. They waited for the promise of the Father. And down came that promise. And out went the word. And 3,000 souls are converted on the first day. Because they waited. That's the right way. Job. All the days, Job 14, 14, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. I'm in misery now and my body's falling apart. I've lost everything. My wife doesn't even like me. <laughs> she didn't. She's just, what's the matter with you? Why don't you curse God and die? Look what he's done to you. And he says, man, God, you've taken all that away from me but it's okay. I'll wait because it's not the end of the game yet. Yes, it might. We're not finished. God's story hasn't 
the final chapter hasn't been written in my life. All the days of my appointed, all the days of my appointed time will I wait until my change come. I'm not always going to be like this. I'm not always going to be in this state. So I'll wait. And what did God do for him? Gave him all of his children back. I don't know what happened there with his wife. I don't know if he gave him a new wife or if he restored his wife. And I'm just being honest. I don't know. Sure. And then he gave him twofold of all of the stuff that he had. All the animals. Because he waited. Now I know. I know the trouble that happened there. But he did things right and God honored it. And so on and so on. Let's go back to our text. And we'll finish. So as you're going to Psalm chapter number 33, I want to say this. The right waiting for the Lord. When, when we're waiting the right way, there is goodness that comes from the Lord when we're waiting the right way. Amen. I want to say secondly, when we're waiting the right way, we will be unashamed of waiting for God. He'll never make us ashamed for waiting. But Psalm chapter number 33 again. We'll close out with our opening text. I got to get there myself. Bear with me. Psalm chapter number 33. Let's look here again. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. That might be awaiting people to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Now, watch again, verse number 20. In light of what we just learned about waiting, Listen to what they say. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Brethren, wait for the Lord. Wait. It's a great virtue. It's a difficult virtue. It's a blessed virtue. Why do we wait? Because he's our help. I don't know you hardly at all. But I assume that some of you are in a situation right now, you're desperate or you're nearing desperate. Wait for the Lord. Amen. He's your help. Amen. He is your help and he will help because that's his nature to help his children. He likes to be glorified that way. It may not come when you think it'll come, but when it comes, you'll be glad you waited. Yes, wait for the Lord. And secondly, why do we wait? He is our help and our shield. Why do you need a shield for defense? Because so much comes our way. Whether it's the fiery darts of the wicked, or whether it's the sharp words of others, or whether it's just the difficult time of life. Sometimes we just need protection from it. How do I find it? Wait for the Lord. Yes. And he steps in and he says... I protect my children, my own. They belong to me. And no one harms them. They're mine. Thank the Lord for it. Preacher. As we contemplate and meditate upon what we heard tonight, We've got some scripture tonight, some word of God that we can chew on, that we can allow to move into our hearts and do a work in our lives tonight on the thought of waiting, waiting. If you need to come to the altar tonight, and the altars are open, and uh, you can do that now if you need to, and just do business with the Lord concerning waiting. Uh, maybe, maybe you're antsy, and maybe your waiting has not been as it what it ought to be, or maybe tonight you're in a situation you're asking God to give you help to wait. I don't know, and neither does Brother Kevin know, but the Lord knows tonight. So you move accordingly to what the Lord may have for you tonight in your life, where you are, the circumstances you find yourself. The situation where you in life, does it require or does it demand a wait, a wait? 
You sing, Brother George. If you need to come, you come. You come tonight. Whatever it is tonight. Teach me to wait. Help me to wait. Make me to wait. Make my mind and heart think of wait. Help me not to be too desperate. I'll just wait. How about it tonight? Several have come. Would you come? Would you come tonight? I need help waiting. I need understanding about waiting. I need clarity about waiting. I need what I need to wait. I got things in my life that are lacking. I can need some answers. I've got some worries. I've got some anxieties. I've got some expectations. I need to help with the Lord to show me, teach me, to guide me. And that one term, wait, waiting. Historically, you're impatient. Historically, you want everything done now. Historically, you, you don't have no tolerance. God, help me tonight. Help me to wait. Just wait. Help me to wait. Oh, there's many that come tonight. Would you come? Maybe you need the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe tonight you need the Redeemer of your soul, the Justifier of the just. Maybe tonight you'll need Jesus, the Savior, to come into your life and to save your soul. Change you for the glory of God. Maybe tonight you need the blood of the Lamb to bring forgiveness of sins and the pardon of iniquity. Maybe tonight you're tired. You're ready for a change. And you need Jesus. May tonight be that night. Step out, step forward, and be born again. How about you tonight? Oh, where are you? Where are you tonight in your walk with God? Well with your soul. Tonight, are you happy? Are you joyful? Are you content?
Choose and foreordain there to. 